You're listening to the Dangerous Prayer Sermon Series at Sojourn Church Midtown. In this series, we see how God invites us to grow in Christlikeness and step into His mission as we learn to pray, search us, break us, unite us, and send us. Today's scripture reading is Psalm 67. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, praise God that the Lord has brought us here this morning. Uh, My name is Nathan. I'm one of your pastors here. I have the joy of bringing our series on dangerous prayers to a close by, you guessed it, praying the prayer of send us. Um, And it is a very dangerous prayer. So buckle up. Um, I anticipate the Lord is going to do great things in and through us today. I just do want to say a word about the global retreat. Um, I've been here at Sojourn for 10 years. Uh, By God's grace, it has been a a wonderful time of ministry. And I've seen the church grow in so many ways, both in numbers, but also in sending. And the highlight of my 10 years here at Sojourn has been the global retreat three years ago. It uh, was a blessing beyond measure. And I'm really looking forward to doing it again. And we would love for you to come with us, help us go and to pray for us. But I do want to give a special shout out to Anna Owens. Um, Anna Owens puts this whole thing together and she is a huge blessing for our church here at Midtown. So uh, thank you, Anna. As we begin, as we pray this prayer of blessing, a prayer of send us, let us just ask the Lord to meet us in this moment. Let's pray together. Father, you are a God that draws near to us. Would you bless us beyond measure? in ways that we can't even begin to understand. And I pray in this moment, as we open your word, as we pray this dangerous prayer of bless us so that you may send us, I pray that you can meet us, Lord. Whatever we carry heavy on our back, the anxiety of the world, the fear of what's to come, the anticipation of tomorrow, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that we can experience your love and your grace today. May we have ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit wants to say to us. It's in your name I pray, amen. So I can still vividly remember uh, that day in Beijing, China, when I went to this international church. So it was my last year of college, and I had decided I wanted to spend my last semester overseas uh, learning from veteran missionaries. That's what I did. I I moved to Beijing, China, which is a city that is enormous, um, very, very big. And I'd been there for a month, and I was struggling a lot. I was learning language and culture, but it had only been a month, right? So you think I would be okay, but it was really difficult. And one of the reasons it was difficult was because I lacked Christian community. I had some missionary friends who were like pouring into me, but other than that, there just weren't a lot of Christians that I had fellowship with. So one of my friends invited me to go to this large international church in Beijing and worship with other Christians. 
And I remember I got to the door and they check your passport because you have to be an international to go because they won't let Chinese citizens attend the church because of of, of rules and regulations they have in China. So my passport was checked. I was let in and I walk into this huge uh, auditorium. I mean, it set three or 4,000 people. And I remember looking up and I could see people from every language and tribe and nation that I could imagine. People with different skin colors, different ethnicities. Many of them had earpieces because the, the service was translated into four or five different languages. And I was just overwhelmed with emotion. There in Beijing, I felt alone and isolated from my church back home. And I saw a picture of the family that is to be our eternal family. And all of these people were gathered together, worshiping Jesus, and they were gathered around one thing, one thing, and it was Jesus. Many of them were there to, to, they literally had left everything behind. They'd come to Beijing to share the gospel. Others were businessmen and various other things. But what the commonality among all of them was that they wanted to worship together as the church. And that moment, uh, really, I began to understand where we're all headed what missions is all about. And what missions is all about is God gathering a big, diverse, global people to himself. So you want to know the end game of all this? The end game is we're going to be worshiping before Jesus of people of multiple ethnicities and languages and cultures, worshiping the Lord forever and ever. It's this beautiful picture that God has promised us. It's hard to explain how significant that one Sunday was for me, but in many ways, it has set the trajectory of my life. It's given me a a picture of what could be and a determination that it must be. God is gathering his church from every corner of the world and I have to play a part. And my prayer is that this church, and it is, is playing a significant part in making that happen. And our text this morning, Psalm 67, uh, falls in line of the same vision, the same theme of God gathering the nations to himself. The Psalm is a prayer to God asking for the nations. It's the psalmist who is leading the nation of Israel in worship through song, asking God, give us the nations. Give us the nations. Now, I want us to be warned this morning, this is a very dangerous prayer because what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be asking God to bless us so that we can bless others. To give us um, the many blessings that God has for us, not for ourselves, but so that we can be a conduit of blessing outward to the nations. Now let's look back in the text. You look at verse one and two, as we read this section, we read this section together, you might notice uh, something that sounds familiar. There's this language of blessing. God bless us, God bless us. And it sounds familiar because really what the psalmist is doing is he is pointing back to two Old Testament passages. So again, he's writing a song, he's leading the nation of Israel in worship, and he's reminding them of things God has told them before. Let's look in Genesis chapter 12 to one of the first promises God gave the nation of Israel. He gave this promise to Abram. Genesis 12, one through three. Go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So notice how that passage and Psalm 67, which we just read, have this similar theme that both of those passages are littered with the the blessing theme. God bless us. God bless us. There's this blessing that that is being talked about. 
And Abraham is giving uh, this, this promise of a great land, which we know is the nation of Israel, a great people, the people of Israel. But he's given a third promise. And the promise is a promise of blessing, that Abraham, through you, all of the nations on earth will be blessed. Now we know, because we have the, the, um, the gift of being able to look backwards into the Old Testament, that what is happening here is God is promising Abraham that through his line and family will come Jesus. The Savior world, the Messiah that was promised back in Genesis chapter 3, that was reminded over and over again all throughout the text, will be given through the line and through the family of Abraham. That God promises Abraham that every nation on earth will be blessed through his family. And that's exactly what Psalm 67 is about. This psalm points back to the promise and says something like this. Israel, do you remember? Israel, do you remember the promise that God gave us in Genesis chapter 12? A great land and a great people, but there would be a great blessing to the very ends of the earth. Do you remember? God is blessing us so that we can pour out that blessing to others. This psalm points us back to Genesis 12, but it also points us back to a blessing that God gave to Abraham, or that God gave to Moses and to Aaron. So they had left Egypt, they were going to the promised land, and God speaks to Moses and Aaron, and he says, speak this blessing over the people of Egypt. It's, again, it's, a, it's a, a promise or a, a prayer of blessing. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. You should say to them, bless, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. In this way, they will pronounce my name over the Israelites and I will bless them. Blessing, blessing, this language of blessing, God to show his face and his favor upon the Israelites. So what Psalm 67 is doing is it's both uh, tying in Genesis 12 and Numbers 6 into a promise to the people of God. Into a one singular dangerous prayer that God will bless us so that we can pass that blessing out to others. And what the psalm is doing is both reminding Israel of what God has promised, but he's also giving them a challenge. Here's the challenge. The challenge is to bless the nations with the knowledge of God. Because it's through Israel's life and witness that the nations around them would know God. This is one of the central themes of all of the Old Testament. You think about the Exodus. God sent Moses to Pharaoh to let his people go. Don't start singing that song right now. To let his people go. And he refused to let his people go, right? So these plagues came, these plagues came. And what happened? The destruction of Egypt took place. And God's people were released to go to the promised land. But everyone was watching. All the nations around Egypt watched the power of God destroy the greatest nation on earth. God's glory was being made known to the nations. Or think about Rahab, Joshua chapter 2. Rahab tells these spies who come in to spy out the land. She says, I know who you are. I know what God has done. He destroyed Egypt and he destroyed other nations around there. He is a powerful God and I will follow him. We all tremble in fear before God. So Rahab, a, a Gentile, was aware of God's glory and his presence. Or think about uh, the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, he prophesies um, in his book about the coming Messiah, the suffering servant will come. And it says that he will be a blessing to the nations. He will bring the gospel to the nations. All throughout the Old Testament is this promise that a Savior is coming to bring blessings through the nation of Israel. Israel was being called to make God known to a watching world. 
So Psalm 67, although difficult for Israel to hear, because you have to remember, Israel was at war with many of these nations over their, over their lifespan. Over the life of Israel, God was, uh, the, the nation was always at war. But God is speaking to them. He's empowering them. I'm going to bless you so you can pass that blessing out to others. So although it was difficult for them to hear, we need to remember how dangerous it was for this song to be sang. It's not simply a prayer of blessing for blessing's sake. Lord, bless us so that we can have nice stuff. Or, Lord, bless us, give us health, give my children health. It wasn't just a blessing to have a blessing, though we want those things. But it's, Lord, give us a blessing so that we can be a blessing outward to others. The psalmist was asking for a prayer of service to the nations around them. God was not simply pouring out his love and blessing on Israel for their sake, but for the sake of the whole world. You and I here today, we are sitting and we have a relationship with Jesus because we have received the gospel from someone else. It, it flowed through, it came through someone else's life and words. So let's re, I want us to read back again verses one through three and be reminded of the psalmist's words to us. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face to shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let all the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Friends, you have been blessed to bless others. If you don't remember anything else in the sermon, you have been blessed so that you can bless others. And this is a dangerous prayer that God is calling our church to pray. And we do pray. And by God's grace, we are making decisions as your elders to give our church away, to give ourselves away for the sake of the nations. But it's not just a prayer for our church. It's a dangerous prayer he is calling you to pray. Will you pray it? Lord, bless me so that I can bless the nations. This is such a powerful passage written for us to remind us that God's blessing is not something we hoard, that we keep tight to our chest. We are praying for God's blessing so that we can give it away. We want to give it away. We want to give God's blessing away. So think about it this way. This is a famous uh, place here in Louisville. It's the, there you go. Uh, it's the Crescent Hill Reservoir. If you look to the left, I don't know if you've been there before. Um, it's a, this beautiful place. You can actually go up there and walk around it. Really old, but you know what a reservoir is? A reservoir is a place where you, you gather water and you store it until you need it for later. So a lot of the water that we enjoy here in our city comes from a reservoir. But here's the thing, although beautiful and wonderful to walk around, when it comes to the Christian life, when it comes to salvation, we are not called to be a reservoir, we're called to be a river. We are called to receive God's blessings and to pour it out. We don't just hoard God's blessings and save them up, we pour them out to others. We aren't called to stockpile wealth or safety or security. We're not called to stockpile our faith as if it's something that people can't know about. We're called to let the blessing of God flow into our lives and out to others. I love the way John Piper writes it. He says, if God wants his goods to get to the nations, then he will fill the truck that's driving toward the nations. He will bless the church that's pouring itself out for unreached peoples of the world. And this blessing is not payment for a service rendered. It's a power and a joy for a mission to accomplish. When we move toward the unreached peoples, we are not earning God's blessings. We are leaping into the river of blessing that is already flowing to the nations. 
Friends, God is not blessing our church. He is not blessing you because of something that you have done for him. He is blessing this church and your life so that we can be fueled with the power and joy that we need to accomplish the mission at hand. The gifts and the joy and the health and the wealth or whatever, the blessings that God has poured on your life, your children, your home, those aren't for you. Those are to pass on to others. God's great cosmic plan is to make his name and his love known to every nation on earth. His river of blessing is being poured out on the nations of the earth. And his invitation to us is to dive in. It's to dive in. Will we dive in with all that we have? And we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean for me to listen to this passage, to take this passage, and to pray this passage? What does this mean for me? What does it mean that we are blessed to be a blessing? I want to give you four different implications for our lives. If Psalm 67 is true for us, and it is, what does it mean? Number one, the primary way we bless others is by making Jesus known. You and I have been blessed beyond measure, be it our health, our education, the relationships you have, our money, our homes, our children, you name it. God has blessed us and wants us to bless others with what we have. Be generous. Show grace to others. Open your home to those in need. Give your wealth away. Live your life as a blessing to those around you. However, the primary way that you can bless the nations and those around you is by giving them Jesus. People need all kinds of things. People need food, they need shelter, they need relationships. We cannot deny that. And we want to provide those things, right? That's part of what it means to be a blessing. We give them ourselves, we give them our ear, we listen, we care, we give them food, we, we draw near to them. But what people need more than anything else is to know God. They need to be restored to God. They need to be forgiven of their sins and be brought into a love relationship with Jesus. So if you're here today and you're listening to the sermon and you're feeling like maybe I, you don't fully understand what's happening or you don't even know what it means to be loved by God, this is the invitation for you. What we are going out and telling others about is for you. Jesus loves you. He longs to be with you. And he has made a way back home. But for us who know Jesus, our greatest means of blessing our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and the nations is by giving them Jesus. I know that sharing Jesus can be a scary thought. Totally scary for me. Uh, it is scary and difficult. But I want you to take courage because the truth is, you were literally made to be a witness. God made you as a sent one. And that's the second implication of Psalm, Psalm 67. You were created to live sent. So there's a myth out there that missions or being sent with the gospel is primarily an activity. It's something we either do, we do poorly, or we don't do at all. Now, I'll admit, obviously, sharing Jesus is something we do, right? We have to open our mouth or open our hand and either demonstrate the gospel or, or share the gospel. It is an activity but it's not primarily an activity. Primarily, what it means to be lived sent is we are created. It's who we are. It's who God has created us to be. And we get this from John chapter 20 in Jesus' own words. After the resurrection, he appears before his disciples and this is the scene that happens. When it was evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. 
Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So Jesus, at his resurrection, his disciples have fled. They, they go to this locked room and they're, they're fearing for their own lives. And Jesus uh, literally walks through a wall. He appears and he reveals himself to them. And he, the first thing he says is peace. He brings them comfort in the midst of their fear. And after he says peace, he says, as the Father has sent me into the world, I am sending you into the world. Now, this is a very significant passage. What does it mean that we are sent into the world as Jesus himself is sent into the world? Now, we could, we could unpack this for a long time. We won't, but we could unpack this for a long time. What does it mean to be sent like Jesus was sent? Jesus left heaven and he came to earth in humility. He came as a, a baby in poverty. He gave himself away every day. He depended upon the Father. There's all these things that show us what it means to live a life of mission. But primarily, what it means is that Jesus is sending us out into a broken world to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel. Every Christian, no matter what their personality, introvert, extrovert, their occupation, whether you're a plumber or a lawyer or you're a teacher or you're a pastor or your location, whether it's Zimbabwe or Ethiopia or China or Shelby Park, you are sent with the gospel. When Jesus saved you and made you a child of God, he also made you a sent one. At its core, Jesus is teaching in John 20 that mission is more than activity. Our mission is rooted in the person of God. So this is what I mean. When we go out and demonstrate and proclaim the gospel, we need to depend upon the Father. We need to have courage and it can be fearful and we want to step into that and we want to share the gospel. But it just doesn't come from our courage or our oomph. It is rooted in who God is and who he has made us. So think about uh, what we see in the scriptures. Jesus, before the beginning of time, the plan was in place for the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Spirit to send Jesus to redeem the world of its sin. So Jesus came and he gave his life away and Jesus told his disciples before he left, I have to leave so that the Holy Spirit can come to convict you of sin, to empower the church. So he left and the Father and the Son sent the Spirit to do that. And then the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, sends the church out on mission, empowers the church out on mission. So who we are made, sent ones, the mission we are given flows out of God himself. My point is missions is more than just activity. It's identity. It's who we were made to be. We don't simply do the activity of witnessing, although we do. We are witnesses. It comes from who we are made. Jesus said the same thing several chapters before in John 17, 18. Here's what he says. He's talking, he's, this is a prayer to the Father. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. Over and over again, we are reminded that we have been sent. That being sent out with the gospel is not an option for us as Christians. It's an invitation to live out how we've been made. That we can never truly experience the full joy of being a Christian until we share our faith with others. That is not a statement to bring about shame. It's just a reality. I don't, do you remember that feeling when you go to your coworkers or your family or someone on the street or whatever it might be and you share the gospel and there's just like joy? Whether they respond or not, that you've been able to share the joy that Jesus has given you. There's something about that. And that joy is coming from an identity of a sent one. Because I'm sent and I live out my sentness, there's this joy that I receive. And as we read through the scriptures, it becomes clear that we are called to make disciples both where we are, so think about this, where you live, work, and play, 
and where we're not among unreached and forgotten peoples. Both of those things are true for us. That's our third implication. We are called to make Jesus known both where we are and where we're not. So that's, that's the beauty of what we believe at Sojourn, that everyone is sent. The beauty of this deeply held belief is that being sent with the gospel can and should happen wherever we find ourselves. So maybe you're here and you're a teacher at JCPS or in a private school or whatever it may be. You, you teach. You're a sent one. You're a witness to your fellow teachers and to your students. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not barriers you have to overcome. It doesn't mean it's not difficult. But your identity in that workplace, in the school, is as a sent one to those you're around. Are you a student at L or Spalding or at a local high school? You're called to make Jesus known wherever you step foot on that campus. Live out your sentness. Do your kids play soccer or swimming or gymnastics or something else? Your call is to be a witness to the parents that are, are at those activities, that are at those events. Do you live in Shelby Park or Smoketown or St. Matthews or Germantown? Insert your neighborhood. Where you live is your place of ministry. The people and the homes that you live around, you're called to be sent to. You're called to open your life and open your home and share Jesus with your neighbors. No matter where you lay your head or what streets you walk down, wherever you go, that's the place you're called to live on mission. And my prayer is that this is a liberating truth. You don't necessarily have to cross an ocean, although you can and we want you to do that. You don't necessarily have to cross an ocean. What we all have to do is cross the street. Or maybe we have to cross the house to our children or to our parents or to a sibling. Our call to obedience is to live sent where God has placed us. Now, being a faithful sent one doesn't mean that it's not without its struggles. I mean, it doesn't mean it's not difficult. Often our lives are so filled with busyness that it's hard to take time to live among unbelievers. I don't know about your schedule, but I just pack it full with stuff. I don't, we do this, right? We just pack it full of stuff. There's demands upon us. So to live out your sentness requires you saying no to good things so you can say yes to the better thing. Surround your life with people who don't know Jesus. Push into their life. Love them. Get to know them. Litter your language and your actions with Jesus. If you surround yourself with non-Christians, love them deeply and share Jesus with them, you'll be living the life of a sent one. So one great way that you can do this is to lock arms with people in your community group. All of your community groups meet in a neighborhood, some sort of neighborhood, right? Well, what if you lock arms and say, we're going to do mission together, which is a biblical picture of, of evangelism, doing it together as a church. Get to know your neighbors, learn their names so that when you walk out your door, maybe it's in and out of community group, or maybe you live there, you can like wave and say, hi, Bill. Hi, Jan. You see a need, you can move toward them. Uh, one of the things that my wife did the other week, I'll brag on her, is we have a neighbor who has cancer and going through chemo treatment. And he just happened to mention it as I was getting out of my car. So my wife went home and made bread and soup, whatever we had, right? That's what we we're having for dinner. She just like took part of it, packed it up, and we sent it over there. And it was like this huge blessing. And it's opened a door of relationship because she saw a need and she moved toward that with gospel love. And you can do that in your community group. Get to know your neighbors, love them, invite them into your home. But we are not just called to share gospel where we are, but also where we're not. Both where we are, where, where we live, work, and play, and where we're not, onward to unreached and forgotten peoples. 
So I know that this is a big world. So when I say we're called to share the gospel with people outside of our context, that's a a hard pill to swallow because the world's big, and I mean really big. So big, in fact, that it's hard to wrap our minds around the size of the population and the contours of culture and people groups. In just five years, by 2025, there will be 8 billion people on earth. So right now there's about 7.7 billion people, 8 billion people. I don't even know how to grasp that number, right? I can barely manage my own personal budget, much less deal with a number like 8 billion. So how do we get our minds around such a large and incomprehensible number? So think about it this way. There are 60 seconds in a minute. That's something we all understand. One minute, 60 seconds. So I want you to do something with me that may sound a little silly, but we're going to count together to five as a congregation. Out loud. You ready? One, two, three, four, five. So as we think about the eight billion people on earth and we think about this illustration of of counting seconds, how long would it take to, to count every person on earth if each person represented a second? So one person, two people, three people, four people. How long would that take? Any guesses? Someone last uh, at the nine said it would take eight billion seconds. That's not helpful at all, actually. (laughs) If we started counting right now, just like we did, and we didn't stop for food or water or sleep, it would take 254 years to count to eight billion people. Now, that is a staggering number, right? And then I'm going to preach all this message about reaching the nations. You're like, you lost me. It's, It's too big. It's too incomprehensible. I don't know what to do with that. It is such a huge number. In fact, the the growth of the world's population is so staggering that every year an estimated 140 million people are born. That's the size of the population of Russia born into our world every year. Yet somehow in God's sovereign and gracious plan, his plan to redeem the world is through us. His great plan is for us to share the gospel, make gritty disciples, plant churches, and to repeat. And here's the amazing things. The world is being reached with the gospel. It is. But there's so much work to do. That if, if you think about the, the staggering number that out of a nearly 8 billion people on earth, roughly 550 million are born again Christians. So 550 million out of 8 billion. Now, I'll be the first to admit, statistics are hard to, to mess with, right? We don't know people's hearts. We don't know what God is doing around the world, but if we kind of have a narrow margin of understanding that someone is, is trusting uh, in Christ by faith alone, um, as we, we kind of look at that numbers worldwide, it's about 550 million, which if you think about that, that's 7.8% of the world's population, which means that an estimated 92% of the world's population does not know Jesus as Savior. It's overwhelming. Many of these people have little to no access to the gospel. This means that even if a person wanted to know about Jesus, if they were longing for Jesus to talk to a Christian friend or to pick up a Bible, many of them would have no Bible in their language. Many of them would have no Christian friend to talk to because they have no access to the truths of God. The task of missions is enormous. And what this means for us is that you and I must be sent both to our neighbors and to the nations. The nations won't be reached if all we do is reach our neighbors, which that is a part of it. But we must care about our neighbors and the nations. And I think the call to be a faithful Christian is to, 
invest our life with those around us and those who are beyond us. Some of you will be called to pack up your houses, to cross oceans, to learn languages and cultures and make gritty disciples in a new place. We see that happening in our church. But others of you need to make sacrifices of your time and your money and your energy and give Jesus away to those around you. Both are beautiful and both are good. One is not better than the other. It's less about location and it's more about obedience as a sent one. The clear message of Psalm 67 is that every follower must be active in blessing the nations. You know, one of the stories that sticks out to me, and I didn't uh, ask permission for this, but I hope it's okay. Our sent one, Rebecca Dennison, uh, who wrote that, who helped write that song, Unite Us. Uh, I love Rebecca's story because she was serving faithfully at Sojourn, had been writing songs, had been singing, has been at Sojourn for almost the whole life of our church. She was doing logistics at UPS as a faithful Christian. And God just started stirring in her heart. She went on a global trip, caught a vision for Asia, kept pushing into that, started uh, tutoring and, and working with refugee kids. And eventually one day God said, go to Japan. And she did. She obeyed and she went to Japan. And now she's living on mission in a different place. It's just a beautiful story. She lived on mission where she was. And then God took her where she wasn't. And now that's her home. And I pray that's a story that many of you can experience. So in just a few moments, I, I want to give you a few practical ways that you can reorient your life around the nations. Number one, learn and grow. Learn and grow. The leaders of this church have created an eight-week class called Live Sent that we have over at the Meridian Building. So it's at the 9 a.m. service. But our vision is that everyone in our church goes through that eight-week class. It gives us a broad picture of God's heart for the nations, but then it gives you practical tools about how to share your faith wherever you are. Um, so it starts February 2nd goes for eight weeks, we'd love for you to sign up and participate. That's one way to grow in loving the nations. Secondly, you can give and pray. If you exit these doors right in that little area, it's kind of our sending area. There's uh, prayer cards of our missionaries and our church planners. Grab a prayer card, send them an email, say, I'm praying for you. Give to them financially. Put that into your daily devotions where you're just praying. You're adopting that person into your life. And you get to like, help serve the nations by loving and caring for our sent ones. We also gave you that calendar in October. You can put that on your, your fridge or put it somewhere and be praying through that. And lastly, go and serve. Consider going on a global trip, one of our short-term trips this year. Go on the global retreat. Or if you are exploring a call to go overseas, if this, the statistics and the stories and seeing people take their lives overseas to reach people with the gospel, if that stirs you to obedience, Grab one of our pastors. We want to go on a journey with you to the nations. That's what we're here to do. And it would be easy for us to get lost in the magnitude of the need, the magnitude of the numbers and the stories and the places and the peoples and the languages. But we need to stop and to realize that though the task is big, our God is so, so much bigger. He's bigger than we can ever comprehend. And God is the one who is doing the work of missions. Number four, implication of Psalm 67 God will accomplish his mission. God is the one who will accomplish the mission he has given to us. Look back in verses five through seven of the passage that we're in today. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. So this is such a powerful passage, all of the verses, one through seven, but the first five verses are really a prayer of anticipation. The psalmist is, is praying to God, longing for God to give him the nations. 
Bless the nations, use us. It's it's a prayer of blessing. But verses six and seven are a bit different. There's There's a change in tone. They are a prayer of belief that God will make it happen. That God will come through. God will produce a harvest of nations. That God is making his name known through his people. I love the way Paul thinks about this in 2 Corinthians verse, or chapter 5. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. You see, what the psalmist is longing for in Psalm 67 and what Paul testifies to in 2 Corinthians 5 is now happening today. The world is being reconciled to God through the church. God is giving us and he's blessing us and the church is pouring out those blessings to the nations. God is making his name known through us. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are ministers of reconciliation. We are his sent people. God has and is blessing us so that we can bless the nations. God has blessed us so that we can be gritty disciple makers. So that gritty is not just a cool phrase, although it is a really cool phrase. It's more than that. It's a calling and identity on our life to give ourselves away. What I experienced that day in Beijing is I think back a long time ago as I walked in that room and I looked up feeling dry in my spiritual life. And I saw people from every imaginable nation I can imagine worshiping Jesus in different languages. I was changed forever. But what I experienced that day was just a foretaste of our future for all of eternity. People from every nation on earth will worship Jesus together forever. It's not just a hopeful picture of what could be. It is a promise that God will accomplish his mission. And by his grace, He'll use us to accomplish it. Will you pray this dangerous prayer? God bless us. God bless me so that I can pour out that blessing to others. Will you pray, Lord, send me so that the nations can know and worship you? Let me ask you, how will you live out your sentness in a world that needs Jesus? Because it's not if you live out your sentness, because you were made to be sent How and in what way and in what place will you make Jesus known with your actions and with your words? And this beauty of the gospel that we want to display with our lives is given to us to remember every week in communion. Before Jesus died and rose again, he gave us a sign or a symbol for the church to come and to celebrate and to remember and to reflect On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a bread, a piece of bread, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup of wine and said, this is my blood shed for you. These are symbols. These are pictures to remind you that I gave my all for you, that I poured my life out to you. And as we come and we take communion, I want you to reflect on the beauty of the gospel in your own life. But it's not just for us. The gospel is not for us to hoard but it's to give away. And communion is a reminder. Let's give it away. Our tradition here at Sojourn is you can come to the front or to the back, break off a piece of bread, dip it in the wine or juice, whatever your conscience permits. And then over here to your right will be gluten-free and alcohol-free communion. I'm gonna pray in just a moment, but here's what I'm gonna do. As your elder and as elder, as representative of our elder body, I wanna pray this prayer blessing over our church. 
this dangerous prayer of, Lord, bless us so that we can give our lives away. Lord, bless our people so that they can bless the nations. Let's pray together. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.